Hey folks, and welcome to a special midweek bonus episode of Prognosis Ohio. When I saw that my friend and regular guest on the show, Rob Moore of Scioto Analysis, had written a commentary in the Ohio Capital Journal about where we are with masks in Ohio, I figured, why not check in with him just to have a chat? Like you, I'm guessing, I've been thinking a lot about masks lately, and as you know, we've had quite an evolution with them since the so-called novel coronavirus first started to spread in Ohio in March. Our understanding of the role that masks play in stopping the spread of COVID-19 has evolved almost weekly during the pandemic and has worked its way into all sorts of unpredictable corners of our social and political life. Masks have become signposts of political positions, testimony to our commitment to public health, and even symbols of caring for one another. But here, now on the cusp of August, we now know that the widespread wearing of face coverings can both stop the spread of COVID-19 and save lives. This is Prognosis Ohio, and I'm your host, Dan Skinner. As always, before turning to my conversation with Rob Moore, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts and consider following us on Twitter and other social media. If you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Especially in the coming months, we're going to be doing quite a few candidate spotlights, so we'd love to hear some suggestions for who we should have on the show and talk to about healthcare. Also, check out our new website. It's a work in progress, but it's at prognosisohio.com, where we're going to be housing an archive of episodes and show notes, links to social media, show production information, and more. And many thanks to Mark France, my co-producer, for helping out and getting that up and running. Again, that's at prognosisohio.com. And while you're checking out the new website, please consider becoming a Prognosis Ohio patron for $3 a month. It's really helpful to us, especially as we continue to take steps to make this show a bit more of a professional and a sustainable operation. Just as a reminder, and I kind of hate this expression, but here it goes. This is something of a passion project for us, so we assure you that we'll use any resources we bring in to make the show better, to reach further, and to improve its quality. Visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in $3 a month and become a Prognosis Ohio Patreon. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Okay, and now to my conversation with Rob Moore of Scioto Analysis. Hey, Rob, uh, thanks for talking with me about masks today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. So, you know, I was thinking about talking to you about this today, and I remembered, and I haven't addressed this on the show yet, but back in February, I interviewed Joe Mazzola, Franklin County Public Health Commissioner, and we had a great conversation. But one of the things in that episode, if folks want to go back and listen to it, they can, is you know, we were, we brought up the question of masks and we were, you know, this was February, which feels like a year ago now. And we were like, nah, no, I mean, you don't, you know, we don't recommend masks. And of course, like we've been through this evolution with masks. In fact, in that episode, we talked about how like, oh no, don't worry. You don't need to wear a mask, but do get your flu shot. And we're, and like all these narratives have been like totally overturned since then. Yes. So, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to just acknowledge that because it's, you know, at that time, it wasn't just that we didn't know about COVID very much. It was still the novel coronavirus, if you remember. But also, there was a concern about PPE, about taking away things like masks from healthcare providers and other, you know, essential workers. So, yeah. what a long, strange trip it's been. Um, you wrote a great piece today in the Ohio Capital Journal on masks and um, just wanted to give you a chance to kind of, I don't know, have a chat with me about some of what you argue uh, and, and address in that uh, piece. 
Yeah, so I think one thing with masks, the medical science has been sort of all over the place at times. It's felt like, oh, these are really important, these are not important, to like maybe they help, but we need you know this PPE thing you're talking about. And from a public policy perspective, um, I think a lot of times we want to go and find like the study that's going to show that masks, you know, save lives and do things. Um, but it can be very hard to use individual level data to say what should happen at the state level. The nice thing about the tools we have in econometrics and more population level is we can look at a policy as it's put in place and then compare it to states that don't have that policy in place and see what the differences are. And people are already doing that with COVID-19 and with mask wearing. And uh, the commentary that I had in the Capital Journal today um, was really focusing on a study that looked at the 15 states that mandated masks early compared to the 35 states that didn't have early mask mandates and saw how uh, the trajectory of the of the um, growth in COVID-19 changed after the mask mandate was put in place. Right. Right. And and there's like this envy of other States. And I feel this way with other countries. too. (laughs) You see pictures of people and they're like, you know, I don't know, in Prague and they're just having a great old time. And like they beat this thing, or at least that's how they're acting right now. And here we are, we're like just getting around to a mask policy in August. Yeah. Or almost August. Well, again, I think I think part of it, too, though, is that a lot of the United States did get ahead of this and they did squash the curve. But then when you open up, it's going to spread unless the whole country had been shut down, which it never was. So the United States never had a nationwide shutdown. Uh, A number of states never shut down at all. There were different levels of shutdown in different states. Um, People were taking it more or less seriously. So a place like New Zealand has been, uh, they've been reporting zero cases of coronavirus. They were able to basically completely stamp it out because if you can get past that incubation period, then it is going to slow down and it, you know people get over it. And then if it can't keep spreading, then it dies out. Um, yeah. But we didn't get that in the United States. So on a state-by-state basis, we ended up opening up and then it started spreading again. That's And that was just inevitably going to happen no matter what time it was, like no matter when we did it, unless there was a nationwide total lockdown that lasted for a long amount of time, which we never committed to doing that. Um, and the, uh, and the, the reason, like one reason that you can see this happening, like one way that you can see this happening is if you look at the trajectory in cases in New England and uh, the Northeast in, in general versus the South, the West, other parts of the country that shut down early. So the Northeast wasn't able to get ahead of it. And they had the really bad increase in coronavirus spread um, back in uh, March and April. And we were seeing New York City just, you know, really like having tons of cases. But then it started going down. And more recently, we're seeing as things open up, places like the South, places like California, and to a to a, not as strong as um, an extent, Ohio and the Midwest following that curve. It's starting to look more like New York did back in March. And now, you know, when I think back to, again, we're almost in August now. 
And I think back to March and April. And of course, yeah, the science was evolving, but we Ohioans spent a lot of time patting ourselves on the back saying what a great job we did, you know, uh, the Dr. Amy Acton fan club, um, like all this stuff that was supposedly really fantastic. But now we're back in July and we are looking at masks up against school policy. I mean, I don't think anybody in March was quite ready to talk about, are we even going to be able to have school in the fall? Yeah. Are kids going to be wearing masks? How the hell do you get a kid to wear a mask all day? Answer, by the way, you don't. Um, you know, I mean, it's really, really hard. And uh, it's also become super political because as time goes on, people get worn down um, and, you know, frustrated. Uh, we have the the anti-maskers, you know, you can't tell me to wear a mask. Well, then De- Mike DeWine said, yeah, well, I can, um, or you can't come to the store. Uh, this is an attack on liberty. And you have the pro-maskers who are like, Look, oh, you poor mask resistors, you can't wear a mask for a few hours a day and healthcare workers and other people have to wear them all the time. So like, it's become so, it's just so crazy, right? The, the, the discourse around it. Yeah. And, and I wonder how much of that is sort of interplaying with just the uncertainty we had around the science at the beginning and how that's evolved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in, in my Capital Journal commentary, I talk about the politics of masks and you know, I, I haven't really been talking about politics as much as I've been writing this, doing this commentary. And even on this show, I mainly focus on the policy, but I do think the politics of this is so interesting. We want to blame individuals so much. We have such a an individualistic culture in the United States that it has permeated. And we, we I think we associate this with right-wing politics, but it goes to both sides. Like, if you see uh, how, you know, a lot of people I see on social media talking about people who don't wear masks sounds like how I hear a lot of politicians on the right talking about people who are in poverty. It's like, oh, right. these people are bad. They're not doing things the right way. And if you, uh, I mean, like when I, when I see people just so surprised that college students are like partying and not wearing masks, I, I, it just makes me think, <laughs> Have do you know any college students? Have you right. seen any college students recently? When have they been the paragon of responsibility? And why should we build public policy around the idea that they're going to be responsible? I think what we've really learned in this, uh, like throughout this whole process, is that if things don't happen at the structural level, if we don't have a a policy that applies to everyone, that's very aggressive that is going to try to stamp out the virus, then we're just gonna be leaning, leaving it to individuals to try to make responsible decisions. And I don't think people in any country would do that. Right, and, and also, you know, it would just the norms around it. I mean, I think actually this is a good development. I'm seeing this even with my, I made my kind of offhand comment about kids because really compliance is a big issue with mass compliance for kids. But, you know, I am seeing uh, people getting better with it. I am seeing people becoming more comfortable and just, you know, um, it it looking like we're making progress with that. At the same time, what's ahead of us? I mean, again, in a way, when COVID kind of first arrived in March, April, you know, in, in, in full force in the United States, we had this gift of the summer in a way. There was more flexibility with with uh, you know kids' schedules, and there wasn't school to contend with. But right now, we're up against this massive institutional wall. And I won't even mention. I mean, just before we started talking, we have you know forty percent of the Florida Marlins uh, you know testing positive. 
um, and the like person in charge of infectious uh, uh, transmissions for one of the football teams, right? Like this, this, this push to reopen is raising the stakes also of the same thing that we were kind of doing a poor job with just a few months ago. Yeah. And I mean, we ended up doing a cost benefit analysis in the spring on open reopening schools for COVID-19. By the way, let me just stop you. So for our listeners, Rob uh, works uh, and leads a, an outfit called Scioto Analysis. So I will be linking to his uh, report in the show notes. Yeah, and we were trying to look at this trade-off between uh, you know human capital development that happens um, during school and trying to reduce the spread of the disease um, by by closing schools in the fall. And I mean, there are some pretty serious impacts that come to kids, and there are a lot of kids who are impacted by school closings. And if we could have got ahead of it and not had to deal with this trade-off, that'd be a very nice thing. And I think. I would just, I am, I would not want to be running a school right now. I would not <laughs> want to have to make that decision and to have to go back and forth and decide for parents, like whether they put parents in a situation where they have to decide, do I take my school or my kid to school or not? Or do I maybe move my kids to a different school or virtual learning environment? And these are all like awful decisions for folks to have to be making right now. And especially considering and we didn't really touch, we did not touch on this in any quantitative way in our study, especially considering how much of our safety net is distributed through the public school system. We need to look at like the school breakfast right. program, school lunch program. I mean, these are two meals a day that a lot of poor families are getting for their kids that they won't be getting otherwise. And we had a, you know, we had a federal, um, there have been some, some there has been some federal uh, stopgap funding for that for those, uh, for, for families that are dealing with that. But it seems like the uh, bipartisan consensus around having a strong safety net during this recession has evaporated pretty quickly. Yeah. They're pro- I mean, I'm, I'm not a great political pro- prognosticator when it comes to this sort of thing, but it seems just looking at it, like there's less and less appetite for uh, supporting poor families right now. Well, I'm really hoping, you know, I mean, as a social scientist, I've found this really, even when, aside from the horror of it all and and how difficult it's been and the lives lost and the suffering, once you can get past that, you know, just the, how interesting it has become, like, I, it's, it's occurred to me that the mask has become almost this kind of metaphor for all sorts of other things, right? The disability rights folks have weighed in around some folks who can't wear masks for various reasons. And then the yeah. stigma of not wearing a mask and, and, and the, the way we approach people on the street or have this conversation, people who depend on lip reading for various reasons. It's just like, this is wrapped up in all these different kinds of parts of our broader social life. And you know, it makes sense. Like I, I'm not one of those people who is like, oh, it's too political. Like I, I like, I don't mind politics. I think that's how <laughs> we move forward in a way, but I like want to have a smart conversation around politics. And that's what I haven't seen as much as I would have liked, but that's why I wanted to start off by saying like, when I think back to February, I was participating in some of these early conversations because we just didn't know. 
Rob, I wonder, I wonder if you just want to kind of close by any kind of takeaway from your piece in the Ohio Capital Journal, anything else you want to pull out of it that you want to share with folks? I think something that is worth noting from this study that I was talking about that was published in Health Affairs is that states that had mask mandates were able to reduce the growth of coronavirus compared to other states that didn't have mask mandates by 1% to 2%, 1% over the next the first two weeks after it was put in place and 2% thereafter. And you can already hear people saying, oh, what? Like all this for that? Which is not a ridiculous thing to say, I don't think. But it is, it's worth saying, hey, this saves lives. That reduction of 1% to 2% will save lives. I mean, that's on, on the national level, you know, calculated out. I mean, that's... Uh, that's hundreds of thousands of cases of coronavirus that were prevented in those 15 states. That's, ten, you know, 10, 20,000 uh, lives that were probably saved at fatality rates that we have right now. Yeah. Um, but even if you have those mandates in place, you know, we're seeing increases of a hundred percent, you know, so maybe we bump it down to 99 or 98% increase instead of a hundred percent increase. There are other things at play here, you know, mass will definitely save lives, but there are basically we, we didn't get ahead of this. We weren't able to contain it and it's still going to keep on spreading unless we want to go back and close the economy down again, which isn't a great option either. (laughs) Like the best, the best thing that we can really come out of this. I mean, you said, you know, once we can get past this and start reflecting on it, the best thing we can get from, from this is hopefully a whole bunch of people get really interested in this and we prevent it next time this comes around. Um, and maybe, you know, hopefully this is the sort of thing where this only happens once every 100 years, you know, yeah. but there are a lot of people worrying about, you know, increased global globalization, which has all these incredible benefits for low income people, in, you know, all across the world and for Americans who want to get cheaper products, um, people who want to have jobs and people who want to, you know, meet other cultures. Like there are all these fantastic things about globalization, but this is a drawback that potentially we could have more of these. And if, if this is going to happen again, hopefully we've learned the lessons next time around and we take this as a wake up call. And at the federal level, we have big leadership because, you know, I focus on state and local policy. That's really, you know, that's what Sciota analysis is focused on. That's what my work is focused on. But this is not a state and local problem. This is a problem that happens at the international level um, and can only really be contained at best at the national level. Well, Rob, you were um, kind of shockingly hopeful today, which I, I appreciate. I didn't I expect <laughs> that exactly. I was also thinking, you know, I, you've been on the show more than anybody else now. So that kind of makes you, I'm a big Letterman fan. So that kind of makes you the Regis Philbin of the show. Oh, uh, you, you know, I mean, who passed away this week. Uh, yeah. Regis was on the show on Letterman more than anybody else. So we're going to, we're going to push with that for a while. That's and, great. Uh, I'd rather have that than being the Alec Baldwin of SNL. I appreciate that. <laughs> I have to process that for a while. <laughs> he's, he's the most common on SNL. He's been on there like two dozen times or something like that. <laughs> Rob, thanks for talking about masks with me. And, um, you know, just always appreciate your analysis, your thoughtfulness, and your take on things, your, your, your hot takes. Yeah, I appreciate being on here. I love what you're doing here. And uh, I hope you stay safe and healthy. My thanks to Rob Moore for joining us again on the show. You can find more information about his company, Scioto Analysis, at scioto 
We've included direct links in our show notes and social media to the website, as well as on our new website at prognosisohio.com. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the Podcast Experience tab. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Friends. Please take a minute to subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio and friend us on Facebook. As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com, especially with regard to our upcoming candidate spotlights that we're going to be doing. Thanks for listening and please be well.